calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. Happy Halloween, you horror little spooks, you. This is Gabrielle DeCure, your podcast producer for the Women Destroy Horror series. This month, we have a special treat for you. Women Destroy Horror, a special double-sized issue that celebrates the women writing and editing horror. It's all part of the exciting Destroy project, which includes Women Destroy Science Fiction from our sister magazine, Lightspeed, and Women Destroy Fantasy, which also launches this month at Sibling Site Fantasy Magazine. All of this fantastic women-powered fiction is brought to you by an amazing group of Kickstarter backers. For this issue, just for you, we brought on a special guest editor and our fiction editor to run the show, the multi-award winning Ellen Datlow. She and nonfiction Stoker Award winning editor Lisa Morton have lined up an impressive array of chilling reads. And as podcast guest producer and host, moi, Gabrielle DeCure, is going to make sure that they are chilling listens as well. Women Destroy Horror contains eight fantasy stories, five original, never-before-published pieces, alongside with three fantasy classics. There's also an array of non-fiction features, as well as interviews with several of the authors. Mmm, fun. This podcast will bring you two of our original fiction selections this month, but if you want to get the whole issue, and why wouldn't you, the ebook is available for just $2.99. You can't even get trick-or-treat fun-size M&Ms for $2.99. Or if you're more of the feely-mealy-I-have-to-have-it-in-my-hands sort, the trade paperback edition is available for $12.99. This special issue is sponsored by our friends at Samhain Publishing. This month, be sure to look for the anthology What Waits in the Shadows, 
And you must do this. Read an excerpt from Catherine Cavendish's novella from the anthology Linden Manor in this issue. Now you do that because I'm telling you to do that. Or learn more at samhainpublishing.com. It is an honor and a delight, and my right as a woman, to bring Nightmare Magazine to you in this special celebration of women writing and editing horror short fiction. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to learn more about the Destroy Projects, including where you can purchase the whole issue in ebook or trade paperback format, please visit DestroySF.com. In this week's story, we're going to talk about the horrors of siblings. It can be pretty scary. Cain and Abel started it all. But women have done a pretty good job after that. Did you know Helen of Troy had a sister? <laughs> I bet she didn't launch a thousand ships. Anyway, um, let's see. The Brontes. Can you imagine tea at the Brontes? Charlotte, do you really want to make him blind at the end? And sometimes sisters are better together. You know, sometimes two heads are better than one. Ask the Tatler girls. And whatever did happen to baby Jane? I didn't bring you your breakfast because you didn't eat your din-din. Why, she was one scary sister. Anyway, these particular sisters in the story today like to bite. And biting is a wonderful word, isn't it? Biting sarcasm, sound bites, biting the dust, biting my head off, bite your tongue, bite the hand that feeds you. Vampires biting off more than you can chew. What's biting you, anyway? So, without further ado, let's get to the story. First, our author, Livia Llewellyn. Oh, all those double L's are so wonderful, like in Lloyd and Laman. Mm. Anyway, Livia Llewellyn is a writer of horror, dark fantasy, and erotica. Hmm... A graduate of Clarion 2006, her fiction has appeared in Subterranean, Sybil's Garage, Pseudopod, Apex Magazine, Postscripts, the magazine of bizarro fiction, and numerous anthologies. Her first collection of short fiction, Engines of Desire, Tales of Love and Other Horrors, was published in 2011 and was nominated for the Shirley Jackson Award for Best Collection. You can find her online with all her lovely double L's at Livia Llewellyn, that's L-I-V-I-A, double L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N dot com. Today's story is entitled, It Feels Better Biting Down, by Livia Llewellyn, and read by the amazing Susan Hanfield, the voice of Valentine in Ender's Game Alive. It Feels Better Biting Down Livia Llewellyn What's with the lawnmower? No one mows this early in spring. It's June, I reply. Spring should be long gone. My twin sister rolls over onto her back, rubbing the afternoon sleep from her eyes with ten long, pale fingers and two long, pale thumbs. I'm lying next to her, in our nest of pillows, on the living room carpet, holding a book with hands that look just like hers, pale and strange, the extra finger curving into each palm, shy-like, but not vestigial 
are immobile, not completely reticent. A sleeping stinger waiting to strike, my mother once said, in her raspy, rye-tinged voice. We like that. Where's it coming from? Neighbors, I say. Behind us, not the sides. I didn't know someone new moved in. Sister sits up. That's what I call her anymore, and what she calls me. It drives our parents crazy because we only answered as sister, and they never know which one they're going to get when they call our name. It only started last summer, just before our senior year, but sometimes now I can't even remember our original names. We are sister, a singular entity with twenty long fingers at the ends of our four pale hands. I know. I close the book and stare through the open-screened windows. Only the neighbor's roof is visible, framed by wind-tossed trees swaying under a cream-blue sky. No one's lived there for years. Remember father complaining? A white trash eyesore, he said. Property rates dropping, he said. All the plants dying, sister says. Too many pine needles, too little sun, I say. That whole backyard is dead. The last owners graveled it over like a parking lot. What are they mowing, then? The engine sputters and buzzes in a low, monotonous drone. The air pooling in through the open, screened windows smells of cut grass and gasoline. It smells enticing and new. Sister stares at me, waiting for my response. I let the book slip from my hands. Mystery is blossoming behind the fence, waiting to be bit into like a stolen plum. We bare our teeth like wolves. We call it the delicious smile, because something strange and delicious is about to be found, to be torn apart and sucked dry. It's another little thing that drives our parents insane, because it doesn't look anything like a smile at all. I'm always the first to move. My sister likes me to hang back a bit. I stand up and hold out my hand and she reaches. I pull her to her feet with little effort on my part, our extra pinky fingers locked as she moves up toward me, a graceful pantomime of our violent birth. We make our way through the silent house, hand in hand. Our parents are gone for the weekend, visiting friends, they said. They're probably just hiding out in a local motel. Summers are hard for them, because school is out and we're always around. To be fair, we don't make it easy. We never have, not since our unexpected birth. We're not stupid. We know how they feel about us. We see them as one, with two sets of eyes. They don't like our indecipherable games, our private whisperings in secret languages, our twisty extra fingers brushing across their normal non-twisty things. Sometimes I feel bad. Only sometimes. They only ever wanted one of us to begin with. And anyway, this is what twins are. Wrong. This is how we're supposed to be. By the time we get to the den and open the patio door, 
the mowing has stopped. A high-pitched fluting noise floods the air. It's the wind washing through all the construction sites surrounding our block, playing with chain-link fences, weaving through empty, honeycombed frames of houses and apartment buildings, and stiff forests of construction beams half-driven into the hard ground. The skeletal remains of what was to be a new neighborhood, abandoned to ruin almost as quickly as it had begun. As we step outside, I raise my hands. I feel the warmth of the day growing steady behind the cool gusts. In this part of the world, it usually takes so long to throw off the winter cold, but this summer already feels different. We stand on the concrete slabs, looking across the yard at the fence. Father put it up a decade ago, when all the hedges started to wither and die off. In the slight gaps between each wide wooden slat, there's no movement or sound. We wait. Nobody's there, I finally whisper. Maybe it was next door after all. I heard it too. It's cold out. Let's go back inside. Sister grabs a plastic lawn chair and walks across the grass. Irritated, I stand at the patio's edge, toes curled over it, and brushing the green blades as I watch. She places the lawn chair against the fence, then steps onto the fabric seat, pressing her face against the slats. Slowly, she stands until her head peers over the top of the fence. Almost instantly, she crouches down, shock lighting up her face like the sun. Come over here, she mouths, her hand beckoning, there's a woman in the yard. I casually pick up a chair, dragging it through the grass as if this was the most boring thing in the world. Of course I want to see. I wouldn't dream of not seeing when sister already has. I plunked the chair beside hers, and she shushes me, one long finger at her lips, like she's our mother. Like she came first. It's times like this I want to grab her little fingers, snap them off her hands like beans from a vine. What's wrong with you? She whispers as I step onto the chair. What's wrong with you? I reply. There's a woman. She's just standing there. So what? Did you see a lawnmower? No. Her face is all... Sister grimaces. Is all what? I ask. I can't describe it. You've just got to see. I don't want her to see us. She can't, sister says. Believe me. I hold out my hand. She clasps it, our stinger fingers coming together like a hook and eye. And just like that, we're in sync again. We're sister. In unison, we peer through the slats. Behind the fence, a dark brown ranch house sits in the shade of several massive evergreens, their branches brushing the shingled roof. The surrounding yard is a carpet of pale gray gravel. No bushes or flowers, no potted plants or garden or fruit trees. A woman 
stands in the center of the yard, barefoot and wearing a shapeless green dress. The hem flutters in the wind, and her crooked brown hair floats about her shoulders. But she's as still as the house. She faces the fence. She faces us. I let out a small gasp. I know, Sister replies. Together, we stand up until we're both staring over the top of the fence, our free hands clutching the rough wood for balance. The woman's face is like a statue, with only smooth, flesh-colored indentations where her eyes should be. The nose is small and without nostrils, almost an afterthought. She has no eyebrows. Her mouth is her largest feature, wide with thin, sloppily painted purple lips that stretch across her cheeks almost to her small ears. Relief floods my chest, and I turn to sister. It's a mannequin, I say in a normal voice. It's a joke, she says, equally relieved. A lipstick smile, I say. An ugly wig, sister says. What are you doing? I ask. Sister slips from my grasp and jumps down to the lawn. She bends down close to the edge of the fence, then holds up a small rock, the malicious smile on her face as she steps back onto the chair. I want to see her without it. Don't, I say. Why not, she says. I don't know. I stare at the mannequin. I don't think we should. It's just a mannequin. What if it's not? What's gotten into you? What's gotten into you? We stare at each other, our frustration mutual. I don't want to fall. Sister reaches out. I grab her hand, but there's no enthusiasm in my touch. Sister pitches her right arm back and throws the rock. We always did have good aim. It bounces with a plink right against the woman's forehead and lands at her feet. After a second, the wig slithers to the woman's shoulders, exposing her marble round head. I turn to sister and smile. Nice. Sister smiles. Nice. Nice. The woman's mouth is open, and the word is pouring out, elongated in the familiar lawnmower drone, in the thick smell of gasoline and severed green grass and torn leaves. We scream. Sister pushes back from the fence, her chair tipping over, but I don't let go of her hand. She falls against me, trying to pull away, but I throw my free arm over the top of the fence. I refuse to let go. The woman's lips stretch apart, wider than wide, past the nubby ears and up and up until her entire face disappears in the bear trap of her mouth. It comes to a stop only when her entire head is split in half, the oval crown of her bald head resting at the back of her neck. Small rows of jagged teeth line the mouth's wet edges, rotating around and around like the blades of a circular saw. 
You wanted to be first, I say to neither of us, to both of us. You wanted to see. Let me go, screams sister. She pushes against me, but I'm wrapped tight against the fence, my feet hooked under the arms of the chair. No! I clench my hand tighter around hers, and I feel our bones grind and shift. The lawnmower sound deepens, grows ragged and clogged, as if the blades were running over rocks. Small emerald specks are rising out of the woman's cavernous mouth, swarming about her head in a frothy cloud of bodies and wings. The smell is suffocating, and my body grows sleepy and numb. Sister feels like a thousand pounds of dead weight at my waist, but I can't push her off. It's not that we don't want to move anymore. It's that we can't. And then... An explosion of green pours out of the mouth. Thousands of jewel-bright, stinging bodies that shoot forward, slam against the wood slats, against my face in a hard rain. The woman's body deflates, collapsing against the gravel in a shivering heap. I feel myself falling, finally. The sky is above me now and the impossibly high tips of the trees. And Sister is somewhere beside me, grabbing at me with both hands. Everything grows hazy and beautiful and kitten gray, even the screams. My right hand rests on my stomach, five fingers and one thumb clutching two objects, slender and soft and hard. One of us is licking their lips and laughing. I'm pretty sure it's me. Sister is crying. The mimicry tears, we call them. It's the kind of crying we do when we don't really want to cry, but we have to, because everyone else is acting a certain way and we need to do the same. Her weeping sounds so far away and hollow like she's become one of those empty construction lots, the wind plucking her bones like the metal frames and threading the music back and forth across all the blocks. My nose tickles. I think of tiny legs and wings crawling out of my nostrils. I sit up, eyes open, and rub at my face until the sensation is gone. Then I stare down at my hands, Ten fingers, two thumbs. Two more fingers sit in my lap. I pick them up. The nails are polished and shiny, with a faint rose sheen. The other ends are perfectly round. No torn flesh, no peak of bones, no blood. I have a terrible urge to lick them. I manage to tuck one in the waistband of my pants before she speaks. What did you do to me? I look up. Sister is standing before me, her arms outstretched. Each hand has four perfect fingers and one pretty little thumb. I hold up her extra pinky. I only have the one. Well, where is the other? 
I can't keep track of your fingers for you. I look all normal now. Yes, like that's so horrible. It is. I know how you really feel. Sister looks frightened, but she stops pretending to cry. I roll my eyes and turn back to the fence. Between the slats, I catch glimpses of flesh, folds of grayish-white dotted with emerald specks, and the shimmer of sharp teeth catching the midday sun. A thin breeze pushes through the fence. It smells like rotting fruit, sour sweet. That was not a mannequin, I say. Give me my finger back. What were those flying things? It doesn't matter, sister says. I think it matters quite a lot, I say, standing up. Show me your hands again. Sister holds them out. I place the end of the pinky next to the red bump where it used to hang. It's like it just fell off, she says. It doesn't even hurt. You're relieved, aren't you? I don't know how I feel. We're not the same anymore, I say. We're not the same person. Is that all you care about? She says. We never were. I place her pinky next to mine, touching the end to my skin. A sharp pain spikes through my hands, and my left extra pinky trembles, then unfurls. It isn't curled up in sleep anymore. It's strong and straight, and the nail is long and steel sharp. I wiggle it back and forth. I've never been able to do that before. We stand on the lawn in silence, staring at it. Across the fence, crows are gathering on the rooftops, waiting for the right moment to attack the woman's remains. I press sister's pinky hard against my skin, taking my hand away only when the ache subsides. It doesn't fall off. What did you do? I wiggle the fingers on my left hand, all six of them, and a thumb. That was my finger! Sister steps forward, but I step forward too, my sharp-nailed finger extended. She pulls back. Finders keepers. I reach down into my waistband and pull out her other finger. Losers weepers. Sister lunges. I open my mouth wide. A soft, low, metallic buzz emerges from the back of my throat, and the drowsy scent of gasoline fills the air. Sister's pupils widen, and her body grows slack. Two can play, sister, she murmurs, and sticks out her emerald-flecked tongue. My knees buckle at the scent, fresh-cut grass and crushed leaves, all the ripe green distress of dying flora. I sigh, and my breath commingles with hers. We drop to our knees. Give me my fingers back. There are fingers. We're not the same. Not yet.
I make the words rattle like a saw. Sister grabs my hand and puts my index finger in her mouth. I slap her face, and when she raises her other hand, I grab it and catch her wriggling thumb with my teeth. We fall against the fence and slide sideways onto the ground, our noses almost touching. You're only hurting yourself. Her hot tongue pushes the words around my flesh. You love it. She smiles, the delicious smile. We both bite down. Behind the fence, the crows have landed, fighting over the woman's festering remains. Sister lies on the grass with her head at my shoulder, examining my severed finger. It didn't even hurt a bit. And her thumb? It was like nipping off cookie dough from the roll. Other than several small teeth marks that quickly faded away, you couldn't tell what was gone. She placed it in the middle of her palm and now waves back and forth, around and around. I take her thumb and place it between my breasts, then slide it down to the open zipper of my pants. Absolutely not, sister says. Absolutely, yes, I say. That's disgusting. It's practical. It leaves my hands free for the other things. I can't believe you just said that. I roll over so that our noses are touching again, our foreheads, our lips. If you don't like what I'm saying, then why don't you bite off my tongue? She does. In our petroleum haze, we shed our clothes, adjusting and arranging our new parts. Insects float in and out of our now-empty mouths, catch in our long hair, crown our heads like emerald halos. Sister signals me, her long fingers waving me forward, and we move as one across the sun-dappled yard to a far corner, to a bed of beauty bark under the heavy needled branches of stiff evergreens. The afternoon sun lowers, and the moon rises bright and clear in the hot summer night. Our limbs come together, fall apart, and weave together again, tongues and toes and scent directing our exploration. And with the break of day, we grow bold with our new single mouth and bite down harder, further within, until we are inside out, until our hearts are one. Blackbirds gather on the overhead branches, chattering at the sight of so many organs, so much sinew and broken bone. They wait in vain. We are fast and quick and sure, and not a drop of blood is spilled or misspent. And night falls again. We rise from our corner, stretch out our double-length torso and our many slender double-jointed limbs, raise the eyes of our single-mouthed head to a star-studded sky as we step into the center of the lawn. The wind is low, 
and the birds are quiet. All about us, small backyards pool behind hedges and fences, small oases of suburban repose. And across the concrete patio, yellow light wells from the kitchen window, and two familiar figures move like shadow puppets in a box. With two sets of eyes, we watch as one. Sister, I say. Our parents are home, I say. Do we show them? I ask. Do we embrace them? How can we not? I say. They will scream, I say. And then they will love it, I say. Or they will die, I say. Unless we die, as the woman did, I say. She gave us a gift, I say. And where is she now? I say. We grow silent. After a time, we lower our haunches onto the dew-speckled grass. One long, multi-fingered arm picks up a sandal discarded from two days ago. It seems so small. Our parents move back and forth deep within the house, talking, drinking, making dinner. They look happy. We think of the woman, immobile in a barren landscape, staring with empty eyes past our fence, dreaming of the lush, forbidden world of another backyard. <laughs> and welcome back. You just heard It Feels Better Biting Down by Livia Llewellyn and read by the amazing Susan Hanfield. We hope you enjoyed it in a horrible kind of way. If so, please go to our website at nightmare-magazine.com. Just click on Fiction, find the story, and leave a comment. If you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast, and leave us a review. If you'd like to read and listen to more great horror and dark fantasy stories, you'll find them every month in Nightmare. If you're not already a subscriber, shame on you, check our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. <laughs> That's us. It produces, yet we, produce the stories for this podcast. We're headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and moi. Check out our website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by the amazing Jack and Kane, and post-production is in association with wizard Jim Freund. This podcast is copyright 2014 by Nightmare Magazine.
so don't even think about doing anything with it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> That's all for now. I'm Gabrielle DeCure, wishing you cheers from all of us destroying horror. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.